0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Tony Katz. This is Kendall and Casey. The Amber and Nigel show. All right, well, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to the Tony Kinnick cast here on 93 WIBC. We've got a lot to get to, mainly that the president of the United States should be in very, very, very serious trouble. Um, One would expect that given all of the new evidence that has come out, of course, that uh, Hunter Biden's receipt of Obama officials personal cell phone numbers is very severely undercutting the White House impeachment defense. Uh, also, uh, Biden's claims, which seem to change by the day, or I, really, I you know, I should say the White House's claims because it's Kermit Jean-Pierre that has to toddle out. And um, first of all, state how wonderful it is that she's black and that she's a lesbian, uh, which is about as relevant to anything as uh, combat boots are to fish. Um, then she starts to tell everyone about how actually they've always had the same kind of. Uh, Idea on how the president is really proud of his son, and and today he he's never spoken to these business associates of Hunter Biden. Now, sure, the text messages you know state very openly that he has, but no, none, none of that really going on. And and then the next day, it's well, he knew them, but he didn't approve of it. He never really talked to Hunter about it. And then it's well, he he's talked to them about it. He talked to Hunter about it a lot, but it was always very tut tut and very hands off. And the story keeps changing. And as the corruption wheel continues to spin and we find more and more out about the Biden administration's uh, deep corruption that has gone back all the way uh, to when he was a senator and then the vice president of the United States, um, it very fully appears as though President Joseph R. Biden peddled United States influence in foreign policy to whoever uh, would give his son money and then his son would funnel that amount back to Biden um, in everything ranging from tangible goods like sports cars, as we saw from Kazakhstani oligarchs, or through Ukraine and Burisma, or even messing around with Hillary Clinton and giving uh, special treatment to Rosatom and Russian nuclear uh, energy companies. So it's the same kind of thing that you would expect in normal world for a very cut and dry impeachment case Alright, we can all agree on that right like if there is definitive evidence that the president of the united states peddled influence during his time in service to the united states when he was under oath to defend and uphold the constitution if during that time he peddled influence and he he harmed America abroad at the expense of the American taxpayer, which is what you're doing. If you're goofing up your job in a federal or state position, that's at the expense of the taxpayer. Like Rob Kendall and I fully agree on this 100 percent. So that's an impeachable offense that qualifies as crimes and misdemeanors like explicitly. However, we don't live in normal times. We live in bizarro world, wackadoodle, goofy times. And the reason that we live in bizarro, wackadoodle, goofy bird times is because the Republican House is a clown show inside of a clown car, inside of a catalog of different clown costumes. It's insane. So uh, Representative Steve Scalise, whom whom I like, uh, put forth this really great bold tweet this afternoon to talk about how we're going to hold the Bidens accountable. And he said, as new evidence continues to come out, connecting Joe Biden to Hunter Biden's shady dealings, the White House changes their story enough stonewalling enough lies house republicans will get to the bottom of it all we will vote to affirm our impeachment inquiry tomorrow <laughs> sure jan yeah I, w- when i see it because i'm i'm not seeing it at all the house republicans have absolutely no idea whatsoever what they are doing we have a we're gonna have a two vote lead right now we have a three vote lead after santos got the boot for being an absolute idiot And then McCarthy willingly leaving at the end of the year for no reason whatsoever. We have a two vote lead in the House. And I don't know if you guys know this, but in some states like California and in New England and in other regions of the country, the Pacific Northwest, where Republicans get elected to office. They're kind of really moderate Republicans. And you know what moderate Republicans in contested districts don't do? Impeach the Democrat president because they're terrified that it's going to affect uh what kind of votes they're able to appeal to, uh, what kind of voters they're able to appeal to in the next election. So this this impeachment is going even less of a place than the Trump impeachment went uh in in 2019 and 2020. Just in, incredible stuff. So so way to go. Here's the bottom line guys. This is why Ronald McDaniel's the worst. Ron McDaniel, the chairwoman of the RNC, could not get with all of the Trump endorsements in the world, could not get GOP members elected to the House. And I remember right after we took back the House in 2022 and what was supposed to be the big, huge red wave and ended up being absolutely nothing at all. We were supposed to go around celebrating all of the wonderful candidates that got in, and yet a ton of the Trump candidates in battleground districts absolutely crapped their pants and we had nothing. And Ronald McDaniel, who Trump endorsed, still sits at the head of the RNC. And and I, I say that as an individual who is likely to vote for Trump if he is the GOP nominee in 2024 that my issue is that we're trying the same kind of nonsense populist garbage and it's not winning elections. And it doesn't just matter in terms of uh, passing legislation. This is what I hear from people all the time. It doesn't really matter if Republicans have a majority because they're not passing any good bills. And so what does it really matter? I'd rather have a divided Congress so that nothing really gets done. Okay, Um, let's go back to high school civics for just a moment. Did you know that Congress does more than passing bills? Whoa, I know! How crazy! What other kind of stuff does Congress do? Well, boys, girls, and squirrels, Congress does things like vote on impeachment and holds investigations and is supposed to keep the bureaucracy accountable. Do you think that the Democrats are even going to moderately do any of those things at all? No, no. How do I know that? Because every time the Democrats gain control of the House, they do none of those things. And we get a ton of new really awful judges and justices and all kinds of nonsense from the Senate as well when the Senate controls that fiasco. Also, the U.S. Congress handles our treaty obligations and our membership in organizations like the U.N., which just voted today to demand a humanitarian ceasefire to... uh, To Hamas and Israel good old I I tell you what who could have guessed that the UN was gonna vote for a ceasefire oh there's a big surprise that's an incredible I think I'm gonna have a heart attack and die from
2: that surprise
1: I mean realistically the, the UN hates Israel everyone knows this the UN has has voted for condemnation of Israel in every way shape and form Uh, Anyone with over a fourth grade education understands that a humanitarian ceasefire is good for Hamas and bad for everyone else. Hamas has openly stolen humanitarian supplies of every shape and kind from the citizens and the civilians in the Gaza Strip. And you know who's saying that? Uh, Palestinian grandmothers who go on Al Jazeera and say, yeah, I know they're probably going to shoot me for saying this, but they're stealing our stuff. Uh, For the record, by the way, uh, the U.N. has not voted to... uh, ask Hamas to release the hostages they have not voted for a resolution for Hamas to surrender they have not voted for a condemnation of one single Islamic nation's atrocities what what, what atrocities are you talking about Tony well I'm talking about in October Pakistan announced that they would be expelling 1.7 million people from their country along ethnic lines did you hear anything from the UN about that I sure didn't I wonder why Maybe it's because the U.N. is a very heavily African, Middle Eastern and Asian run nation that do not care about Western values or Jews or Christians or agnostics at all. And maybe a lot of these member nations who come from radical Islamic nations that beat women and sell young women into slavery, maybe their human rights strategy just kind of sucks. Maybe we should pull out of the U.N. That's why a Republican majority matters in Congress. That's why I'm I'm scoffing when the the House majority talks about how oh we're going to investigate Biden we're going to you can't even pull funding out of the most anti-Christian anti-Jewish organization in world history. So so spare me sing a song of sixpence I'm, I'm not buying it up next we're going to be talking about something very disturbing here at home Mary Margaret Olahan discussing public schools across the country which are assigning boys to sleep with girls on school trips after that Stephen Kent with what you're watching you are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: It's the Tony Kidditch cast on 93 WIPC. good evening and welcome back to the tony kennett cast on 93 wibc i'm tony kennett joined by mary margaret this evening of the daily signal our lead reporter and there's a reason that she's on with us this evening you have been told out there in your homes across the midwest that this whole trans thing isn't happening in schools you guys are just making a big hullabaloo about nothing so what if a kid wants to identify as a girl or a boy or a goat i mean what, what does that matter it's not like it's affecting your kid at all And uh, it it turns out that it is affecting students uh, all across the country. Uh, Mary Margaret, tell us what's going on.
2: Yeah, Tony, we have this wild story that we reported a few days ago, and it's still kind of been at the top of my mind because it's so crazy. Basically, what happened is this girl was on a trip. She's 11 years old. She's on a school trip with a lot of other kids cross country and she got assigned to share a room and a bed with four, uh, three other students what the problem here is is that she was sharing a bed assigned by the school with a boy and she didn't know that because he was saying that he was a girl and his parents were telling the other kids that he was a girl and the school was telling the other kids that he was a girl because his parents had told the school that they were in quote stealth mode and what stealth mode means in this situation is no one gets to know that he's actually biologically a boy they're representing that he's a girl and so on this trip this little girl went to her room with her classmates thinking they're all girls and the boy tells them actually no I'm a boy who identifies as a girl I just think I'm transgender so she goes into the bathroom and calls her mom and says mommy I have been told that I have to share a bed with a boy and no one else knows he's a boy and thankfully, her mother was in the hotel as well, so she went down to the lobby and talked to her mom, and they sorted it out with the chaperones, and she didn't end up having to share a bed with him. But another little girl did that night, and the parents are now the calling cha- on... The
1: th- chaperone let it happen, anyway, like actually let the, the the student that is a boy that pretends to be a girl, actually let him stay in that room with the other girls?
2: Uh, He got switched to another room, I believe, but he was with a little girl. Oh my gosh. Tony, I think it's important that people visualize this too. Imagine that, like, let's say you're a dad. Imagine for a second that you're home, your wife's on a school trip with your daughter, and all of a sudden you get a phone call. It's your wife, and she's like, Our our little daughter Susie has been told that she has to share a bed with a boy and you're thousands of miles away and you're thinking, what? My daughter is in bed with a boy on her school trip? Who allowed this? Who said this was okay? And then you talk to the school and you find out not only did they know, but they agreed to keep this secret from you and your wife and they put your daughter in that bed with that boy.
1: That's the problem. That is the key problem here that is really infuriating because there are schools here in Indiana. uh, I'm thinking of South Madison School Corporation. I'm thinking of Indianapolis Public Schools uh, that have said, well, it's actually the, the students' civil rights to be treated as whatever gender they are. And, you know, they were hiding things from parents. Uh, because they said, well, maybe the parents not supportive and we're just going to go ahead and assign things this way for a school to know something like this and keep this from the student. This happened in a, this was a Jefferson County in Colorado, right? Yeah, I, I mean, we ha- we saw results um, in which transgender or non-binary or gender non-conforming, whatever you want to call it. Uh, students are sharing bathrooms Uh, with students in Loudoun County, Virginia, the case of sexual assault that rocked the nation. Uh, What in the world could the school possibly have used to justify their actions here?
2: Well, the line nowadays is that gender identity and keeping people's comfortable with their gender identity and avoiding discrimination is more important than anything else. I feel like what I get a lot of the time when I write these stories and I'm sure you get this too is you get a very bland statement about how the school or the uh, institution cares the most about protecting everyone and making sure that everyone feels safe. But at the end of the day, the everyone only includes the trans identity student because the girls are made to feel unsafe when they have a boy in their locker room or on their sports team uh, endangering their physical uh, well-being or make just making them uncomfortable changing in front of them and in this situation the parents that find out that there's a little boy in their daughter's bed that is not making them feel safe and it's not making their daughter feel safe.
1: And not that it's not that this would make this any better. It would still be just as damning, but this is an 11 year old student. It's Mm -hmm. not like it's a a 15 or 16 year old who maybe has experienced some kind of romantic feelings and has said, well, I, I really feel more comfortable expressing, you know, interest towards this person or whatever. This is a a child. 11 year old is a child, a little child who is being paraded around as the opposite gender and then thrown into, again, not just, not just like a room full of single beds, a bed with this student. Large beds that they're expected to share. I, it really, it's blowing me away, mary Mar- I seriously can't.
2: It, it's a story that made my blood boil. I have uh, siblings who are 11 or who have been 11. Well, I have
1: a daughter. That story you said, you know, imagine you have a daughter and, and I... I mean, I'm sure you saw my face. I mean, my face is just slack imagining getting that call from my wife.
2: Yeah, I think especially as a father, it would be really, really, really hard to hear this when you're not there and able to help. Thank God that mother was there and was able to sort Mm. things out. But if she hadn't, her daughter probably would have ended up submitting to peer pressure and thinking, I guess I have to do this. And spending the night in bed with a boy when she was wildly uncomfortable with that. And that is just so not okay in any shape or form.
1: So you would expect in a reasonable and a sane society that the government in question, whether local, state, federal, might actually investigate the school's policies on this and maybe deem them unsafe. Maybe the Department of Education in Colorado might investigate whether this policy is safe for students. Have we seen any kind of a governmental response at all?
2: Not that I've heard of. (laughs) I don't know if we will see one.
1: Uh, has anyone else out there commented on this? Because again, there's so many stories that are coming out right now that the news cycle has the lifespan of a fruit fly. What have we seen as far as kind of a wider condemnation of this issue?
2: Well, this story, I was shocked. Uh, it it kind of blew up. It was all over social media. I saw a lot of people interacting with it. So I don't think this is the end of it. And actually, we're working on another project here Daily Signal where we're going to be shining a little more light on it, and that's that'll come down the line. But I don't think this is the last that we'll hear from this story. Actually, one of our, our reporters here at Daily Signal, Elizabeth Troutman, she wrote another story today where she found out that a Missouri school district had the same policy for overnight trips. So I think we should do a little more digging into other school districts because I would not be shocked if this was going on all over the country.
1: It reminds me very much of, of a situation in, in which a, a friend of mine who used to be kind of like an ecology major, uh, he would like handle snakes. He kind of thought he was like Irwin when he'd go and he would grab several snakes at zoos and it kind of nature reserves and things when we do our studies and we would you know say look that's unsafe it is unsafe to, to you know play around carrying around throwing snakes around right. that's a dangerous thing to do and he always told you know, oh it's fine i know what i'm doing it's you know it's good for my work or whatever. And we kind of brushed it off. And he was eventually bitten by a snake in a northern Illinois reserve, kind of on the Indiana border. And it wasn't a poisonous snake. It wasn't a copperhead. Thank God. But again, it's just a reminder. We're kind of running the clock with these policies until something horrible does happen. We don't want it to happen. That's why we're upset about this.
2: Right, and it, it's bizarre because when you bring it up or when we hear all these parents go to the school board meetings and say this shouldn't happen because the X could happen, what they're told is, "Oh, well, That hasn't happened. You don't have any Mm -hmm. examples of that happening. And so the attitude is, since we don't have any examples of that happening, we're going to proceed as if it's impossible.
1: Which is Uh, worse because we do. Again, with the Loudoun County, Virginia situation, it's like with female athletics. You know, you you look at situations in which female athletes were seriously injured. Uh, What was it? The the case where like a female wrestler had like a cracked skull or something similar to that situation. And we are getting Instances where young women are getting hurt, and again, whenever anything comes to the realm of sexual assault, I, I don't want to play games. Yeah, I just don't. I, it's there's too much at stake. I mean, an injury to a forearm or to a skull, even that heals. Sexual assault stays with you for life. Right.
2: Right. No, and and Peyton McNabb is uh, a young woman that I've spoken with. She's so brave. She was injured during volleyball game where a boy who identifies as a girl spiked a ball so hard at her head that uh, she has all kinds of lasting injuries, including partial paralysis on one side of her body, all these other horrible things. Peyton's become an outspoken advocate for fairness in women's sports. Uh, but, you know, she's going to have to deal with those injuries for the rest of her life, perhaps. And uh, there's so many other stories like that where we just see how blatantly unfair and just unjust allowing boys and girls uh, sports is. And then the safety aspect when it comes to girls' private spaces, mm-hmm. that's yeah. just, that should be a no-brainer.
1: It, re- it really should be. So to, to clarify, I did actually find the instance. Um, a transgender fighter, um, Fallon Fox, broke her opponent's skull in an MMA fight. And that was back in 2021. But there you go. Still. That is a case in which a female was hurt by a transgender fighter who should not have been competing in basic safety stuff. Mary right. Margaret, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, of course. Thank you, Tony.
1: You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC,
0: whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: listening to the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIBC. Hey, welcome back to the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIBC. It's time for everyone's favorite media segment. It's what you watching with Stephen Kent. Now, of course, Stephen Kent is the media director of the Consumer Choice Center. He's the editor at Geeky Stoics and he's a contributor to Bounding into Comics, but he's also a box office master and that's exactly what he's here so Steven tell me what is so important about the box office right now
3: well what what you're going to see this Christmas season as you're getting together with friends and family uh, to celebrate the holidays. We all end up going out to a movie at some point during this time where we... Is that a tradition with your family? Oh, certainly. Certainly is. Yeah. Do a movie at some point. It used to be something that we would do late on Christmas Day, sometimes the following day, but now we just do it at some point before the New Year. But we'll go to the movies, and there's a lot of good options right now, and a couple of bad ones. I'll tell you what you need to go see. The movies Stealing the show this year, both Japanese films, Godzilla okay. minus one, a new addition to the Godzilla <laughs> franchise. You laugh, Tony, but it's no, not a joke. I'm, this I'm, movie... laughing.
1: <laughs> I'm laughing. It's the, the absurdity of it, because I'm expecting like look, I'm a guy who thinks that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I do. Uh-huh. I, I believe that. But I wasn't expecting you to say of all of the movies to go see at Christmas, Godzilla minus God-Zilla. one. No, keep going. I, I'm intrigued. I'm well, ready.
3: You know, so so Godzilla. Of course, you know it's a monster movie. Things getting destroyed. You want to go Amen. see a movie that the you know the family can all go and, and laugh at, enjoy, and also take a little bit of awe at. Like Godzilla fits into that. It's a PG thirteen movie. Godzilla minus one is a movie taking Godzilla very seriously. It okay. is a Japanese language movie. It takes place right after World War two, and it develops characters for the first time in Godzilla since maybe Matthew Broderick <laughs> uh, that you. That you don't want to see die like you actually care about it's a it's a pretty remarkable feat for Godzilla to go beyond just destroying stuff this is a character movie
1: I'm all for a movie that develops really good characters and world-building so you've you've piqued my interest what what else is on the the Christmas docket this year? so
3: this is actually more traditional family-friendly fun but the boy and the heron also also a Japanese film animated and the latest from studio Ghibli Uh, your kids and your Gen Z members of the family all know Studio Ghibli. This is um, Hayao Miyazaki. He's the guy behind Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, Mm -hmm. and this is his latest film since 2013, The Boy and the Heron. It is already number one in North America for box office and it crushed it in Japan when it came out a couple of months ago.
1: For good reasons. I mean, Studio Ghibli is just something else. There's a quality of animation that I think we kind of lost uh, after the, the Little Mermaid and the Aladdin and the mm-hmm. Mulan era that we've never quite gotten back to. That, that Yeah, of course, the graphics can look maybe fancier and rendered in the ways that they are, and that's a, definitely a kind of talent as well, but there's something about hand-drawn animation and that classic style that I, Studio Ghibli just says, well, I mean, My neighbor's is a Toro. Right? It, it's yeah. just so
3: beautifully drawn. I, Studio Ghibli is a time machine to uh, I, I really believe like the, nine, the 1990s of animated mm-hmm. children's classics. These are fairy tales, and they're beautiful and enjoyable for every age group of the family. Uh, this one is set during World War II. It's a coming-of-age story about a young okay. boy who's lost his mother in a hospital fire in Tokyo, again, after the bombings of World war ii Mm -hmm. and he encounters a gray heron who takes him into a mysterious magical realm on a journey Uh, this is the kind of thing that you and your fam can all go see it's got some spooky elements it's got adventure again japanese language film with english english subtitles overdubbed but you don't want to miss this these movies are special in an era of woke meaningless entertainment Um, studio ghibli always raises the bar and
1: that right there is is what I'm so passionate about this season. I mean, to really put your money and your time behind things that are crafted beautifully. I mean, we're seeing this in architecture, we're seeing this in art itself, in the various mediums that it comes in and and to see again movies that are still made with like hand drawn animation style that are character focused that are still family fun without having to worry about a bunch of you know stuff that I really don't want my kids to see there's just something about that that that's really worth putting your time in
3: there's making
1: a- Oh, go, go ahead.
3: I was going to say, there's a really great clip that you can find on, on YouTube of Hayao Miyazaki, the guy behind Studio Ghibli, um, chastising one of his animators at Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli for showing him a demonstration of how artificial intelligence could generate better animation for their films. And his understudy is showing him his animation that he made with computers. And Miyazaki just obliterates him, like, what you've done is sick and a betrayal of the human spirit and all all this just kind of these ideas about, you know, again, the beauty of making handmade things and making them uh, with attention and with a a sense of beauty. Um, So, again, this is this is a dying art and Studio Ghibli is always worth watching. What were you going to say?
1: When it comes to, to, again, to to really East Asian cultures like uh, South Korea, like Japan, there's a very discipline focused idea to an art where Cutting Corners is just seen as one of the base, laziest ways to live. Um, We're on with Stephen Kent uh, with Whatcha Watching. And what everyone else is watching this year, you get around Christmas time, it's rerun time. It's how rewatchable is a movie. Maybe you watch something twice. Uh, My mom watches Christmas Vacation and The Christmas Story every year Mm -hmm. several times. It hurts me a little on the inside, not (laughs) because I don't like those movies, but after the 57th time that you've watched A Christmas Story, I want to uh, take that leg lamp and break it as well. Yeah. But this year, there has been a changeup in the most rewatchable movie that Americans are putting in again and again. It's no longer Charlie Brown's Christmas. It's Home Alone.
3: It's our time, baby. <laughs> oh yes,
1: I, Harry and Marv's antics in Home Alone one and two are—it's just perfect, man.
3: Harry, I've reached the top. No, nope. it, it doesn't. Right in the schnoz. It, it, right in the schnoz. It doesn't, it doesn't get any better than Home Alone 1 and 2. Now, I, I got to tell you, uh, I think that I like Home Alone 2 better. Uh, when They Kevin, refined it a little bit. Yeah, when Kevin is in New York, for me, the high point of that movie, well, is Marv's low point down in the basement when he is electrocuted. Yeah,
1: getting electrocuted <laughs> and the, the, the skull prop jumps in and is cut out and the paint. Um, and I mean, who, who can ever, ever? You watching turn their nose, and, richcha, this, is, freaking,
3: this is this is generational change at it at its peak. Because when I watch Home Alone, I feel like my dad. When I remember my dad watching Griswold Family Christmas, uh, which is another way, great one, it is. But the way that he would belly laugh watching this movie, and I was always like, "This is funny," but it's not the funniest thing in the world. Uh, Home Alone is like that to me. Everything is a breakdown, laughing kind of. Uh, oh, yeah. kind of moment.
1: And and it's those kind of, of movies that you actually. When you go through, you get to watch some of the little stuff that the, the people that made the movie put in um, that maybe wasn't for everyone to kind of notice. And it's only from those movies that you re watch time and time again that you get that out of. And here's, anyway, here's some of the, the other stats here. The Yahoo YouGov poll um, invited participants to select their regularly rewatched watched festive favorites. So 34% of people frequently replayed Home Alone, followed by um, a Christmas story and a Charlie Brown Christmas. And then, down below, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, then Elf. Elf got kicked down quite a bit. Hmm. And I I gotta tell you, Elf is something I think I watch every other year. Hmm.
3: I can only handle
1: so many Will Ferrell shenanigans.
3: Yeah, Elf, I feel like, is one of those... those will Farrell type comedies that struggles in the last act of the movie mm, once yeah. once you get past the premise which is funny and absurd yeah then he's gonna be an the, then, the yeah. movie starts to take itself too seriously and when the movie turns that corner to Zoe Deschanel it does you know discovering the meaning of Christmas it just doesn't work anymore okay. what I'll tell you I watch uh, my movie uh, that I like to go back to now is the Santa Claus Tim Allen
1: oh that's how we kick off every Christmas mm-hmm. season you know he's only 30 39
3: in that oh my gosh
1: i know it looks that like just a dinosaur you... <laughs> i know oh it's it's horrible La- last little piece here i think of this you know the show new girl where zoe dejanelle yeah. plays that ditzy girl i swear zoe dejanelle learned to act like jess in elf like mm-hmm. her watching will ferrell act like just an insane goober is how she developed the character for uh for new girl that's that's my head canon there
3: that is a worthy headcan, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, Tony. Hope you enjoy a, a couple good Christmas movies this year.
1: Merry Christmas to you and to Home Alone 2. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC.
0: Right in the schnoz! Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. <laughs>
1: it's the tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIPC. hello and welcome back to the tony Kinnett cast on 93 wibc we need to have uh just uh, a bit of a chat here and and i think that it's necessary that you know we just kind of sit down and and kind of make things you know clear everybody fakes things Everybody fakes things just a little bit. The entire world is fake it till you make it. It really is. And I think that once you come to terms with that, we can start to address what is one of the most egregious problems that faces us in media and in politics and when you call your parents or your children and you talk about how things are going today. And that is, you need to fake things correctly. If you're gonna fake something, do it right. And that's that's so crucial by by just tweaking a few things on that resume that you totally made up. You can actually do something great for yourself by not drawing attention to the fact that you're a big, fat phony. Take George Santos, for instance. So George Santos from New York was expelled from Congress because he didn't just kind of fudge the, his backstory a little bit, which honestly, after hearing him talk. I think that he probably could have just tweaked a little bit of his, his backstory and no one ever would have noticed. But I mean, he was a super duper valedictorian and he was like a war hero and, and he was like 18 different ethnicities. It's like, listen to all the different places. Joe Biden has grown up. Like he grew up in a black church and a Puerto Rican household. And he also went to temple with some Jewish friends. And, and that was when he lived on the, the other side of the tracks. And, and it's like, Uh, Dude, you you can say you have an appreciation for something that maybe you don't actually have an appreciation for without going all in. Remember Senator Elizabeth Warren? Remember how she didn't just say, you know, my family has a really great, rich Native American history. We've always appreciated it. And that's why I'm really passionate, you know, about Native American uh, issues in Congress. She didn't do that. She came out and is like, we have recipes in Pow Wow Chow Cookbook. And, and like you don't you don't have to do that. No, nobody's forcing you. I think I think in, in regard to, to flags. So we see this every time there's some kind of a big event, something in the world. Everyone ran out and they got a Ukraine flag in the Russia-Ukraine war. And they wanted to show how great they were. And they got the flags and they were putting them up on social media and in their house. And some people were trying to say they'd supported Ukraine for decades. And these Ukrainian flags that had supposedly been hanging for decades... Um, still had the folded creases in them like they just unfolded it from the plastic wrapper they got it in from Amazon steam your flags if you're going to fake supporting a group of people steam the flags um, no you haven't supported Palestine all of this time representative squad member that full that 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 flag that is in front of you um, literally looks like it was unfolded from an origami pop out book uh, just steam your flags just, just cover for yourself just just a little bit just a little bit. Also, I, I think back to when Randy Weingarten posted her support for Ukraine. That would be the head of the uh, um, American Federation of Teachers, the one of the largest teachers unions. And she had the Ukraine flag flipped upside down. Uh, so, so just for all of you boys and girls out there, the Ukraine flag is a field of yellow grain under a blue sky. That's what the flag symbolizes because Ukraine is kind of a breadbasket region. Uh, she flipped it. So, again, just very basic, very, very basic research. And along the lines of very basic research, I, I like to think of individuals that are a lot like Nikki Haley, uh, who got up in front of of the entire country, well, the, the country that was watching the GOP debate, that is, um, and said that every thirty minutes that you spend on TikTok, you become seventeen percent more anti-Semitic. You don't you don't need to make up statistics for everything, guy. Just come out and say, look, being on TikTok, which you know means that you could come in contact with more anti-Semitic content, and and therefore we're seeing a lot of youth become more anti-Semitic. Not only is that a good way to phrase it. That's also true. But by slapping numbers on it, like you're hosting a deal at Menards, you've completely eliminated your credibility. You didn't have to do that. Greatest example of all, and what we will close on this evening, Doug Emhoff. Now, many of you don't know who Doug Emhoff is, which is is really funny, uh, given uh, who he is in this country. Doug Emhoff is the husband of Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh... (laughs) Uh, How embarrassing does it have to be to uh, be the second gentleman or whatever we're calling it of the United States? And like, nobody knows your name. Um, I feel really bad for Doug because of all the allegations that Kamala Harris gave sexual favors to a lot of her bosses as she was rising up the political ladder in California. And I am nowhere near the first guy to say that. In fact, a lot of left wing publications have verified those claims. Um, Imagine having that character be known about your wife and then being the second gentleman to her, the, the vice president. Well, he was trying to explain how much he and Kamala Harris, you know, celebrate Hanukkah. So if you don't know, if you were elected to office as a Democrat, you instantly celebrate every holiday but Christmas. You celebrate Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and Dwali and, and the first of October and and you're celebrating Jumba Loomba Day and, and the anniversary of Halo three. Like you, you don't need to do all of this, but they have to tell everyone just how they celebrate Hanukkah, even though, by the way, to Orthodox Jews, Hanukkah is like one of the least important holidays of the year. Now, I was talking with a friend of mine, Jason Bedrick, who, who is very, very Orthodox. We're talking like with the little curly sideburns and the beard and everything and and. Hanukkah means very little as far as like scale of holidays for the year. But but Doug Emhoff, second gentleman, he wants you to know how seriously he and Kamala Harris take the the celebration of Hanukkah. So he says the story of Hanukkah and the story of the Jewish people has always been one of hope and resilience in the Hanukkah story. The Jewish people were forced into hiding. No one thought they would survive or that the few drops of oil that they had would last. But they survived and the oil kept burning Oh, brother, this guy stinks. Okay, guys. um, So he goes on to talk about how they were hiding. If you didn't know, a basic Google search. uh, Of course, I've actually, you know, read books, but you can do a Google search. The story of Hanukkah is when the Greeks were rampaging across the center part of the world and they conquered Israel and they said, okay, we want all of you to embrace Greek culture. So throw out your your God, Jehovah, and throw out everything about your culture. You're going to be Hellenized. You're going to be Greek. And you're not allowed to do anything else. And the Jews, as, as the Jews so often do, sent a very large middle finger towards the Greeks uh, under the banner of some dudes called the Maccabees and said, come get some. And the story of Hanukkah is how the Jews outlasted the Greeks. And until they were conquered by Rome, basically performed one of the greatest upsets in, in historical cultural history up to that point is very, very basic knowledge about history. You would think that, that before you tweeted that as the husband of the vice president, this reminds me of when Michelle Obama used to open her mouth, like on any day ending. in Y. if, if you're going to fake something, guys, you you just just tone it down a little. If you're gonna tell everyone you you celebrate Hanukkah, like don't make it look so obvious that you don't remember when Hillary Clinton tried to pour a beer? Or that that photo of, of Hillary Clinton where she walked into like a, a middle income, lower middle income household and was like horrified at the kitchen. So there's a picture of her looking mortified. You don't have to do that. You don't have to fake it. And, and if you're gonna fake it, just tweak it a little bit, guy. You know, just just a little bit. Just just make it a little more believable that, you know, the liar shoving down our throats works. Thanks for stopping by this evening. This is the Tony Kinnick cast on ninety-three WIBC. We'll see you tomorrow.